0: Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. The parallels between the recent unfettered violence loosed upon our nation's capital by many identifying as white supremacists and the uncountable atrocities historically committed against Black Americans are inescapable, nor should they be escapable. To explore this moment in American life, we welcome Victoria Bond. She's a John Steptoe Coretta Scott King Award winner, And she's back with the final book in the Zora and Me trilogy, Zora and Me, The Summoner. In this fictionalized account of the childhood of American author and anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston, the Zora and Me trilogy explores the wonders of childhood and the horrors of coming of age in the Jim Crow South. Now, it's a mystery series, folks, and it draws on the reality of the African-American experience to tell socially conscious whodunits about how friendship and resilience can empower us all to understand and confront injustice, all while inviting readers to explore Hurston's own seminal work. Professor Victoria Bond, welcome, Mysterious Goings On.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Alex, for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, this book, um, I, I I don't read a lot of middle grade stuff, mm-hmm. but 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 I I do read mysteries, mm-hmm. and I found it enchanting. I. Oh. oh it's but it's it's so rich and it's so lushly um uh, researched and the way you've woven um obviously true things into Mm -hmm. the story um i i just think it's magnificent um but let's take a step back if we could because this is the third in a trilogy and obviously i didn't read the first two i just Mm -hmm. got this one but i loved it how did this all what's the genesis of the whole zora and me trilogy
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I just, I wanna begin by saying that each book in the trilogy is a standalone and they are all standalone mysteries.
0: Good, good. (laughs)
1: With the the same cast of characters. So one interesting thing about this trilogy is that it's actually co-authored. And I think unlike a lot of co-authored works, my co-author and I, my dear friend T.R. Simon, we wrote the first book absolutely positively together. -hmm. And the second book in the series, T.R. Simon, it's called The Cursed Zora and Me, The Cursed Ground, wrote alone. And then I finished off the third book. Zora and me the summoner so I just want to say to all of your listeners who are Mm. interested in writing interested in collaborating there's all kinds of ways that it can work out right so Tanya and I collaborated on this idea but our kind of our feeling our pulse for each of the books was a little bit different so it made more sense for us to write the book separately even though we've co-created and co-authored the series so i just want to put that out there because i think again it's just it's really it's interesting for people that have an idea they talk about it with friends how is this going to work out can we do it i think there are a lot of different ways to collaborate So that being aside, um, so Zora and Me, as you said, is based on the early life of Zora Neale Hurston, who was born in 1890 in Alabama, but she comes of age in Eatonville, Florida, which is one of the first all black incorporated towns in the United States. So being interested in history wanting to show young readers this kind of this prototype of kind of a black girl genius there was so much to be gathered and explored in this really unique context of an all-black town at the turn of the century and for us, the mysteries in that respect really do take on all the kind of baggage of race in America, right? So the first book in the series is a a murder mystery, and the, the plot turns on racial duplicity, And in the second book, it's a ghost story, but it's a ghost story about real estate, right? Who owns this house? Whose property is this? And in the third book, The Summoner, it's a a zombie story with some business about the history of medical research. So these books use the setting of Eatonville, Florida, and they're really about this kind of larger than life spirit of Zora Neale Hurston to kind of give readers kind of socially conscious historically informed little mystery stories
0: and and it's it's wonderful you know it, i think it would just be a little glib to say it's like nancy drew because it's it's way deeper than that i mean oh, th- it, but like well it is because she's i mean you know after a while nancy drew kind of kind of got a little rote but i mean for what i can see um this is, this is a, a deep rich character and surrounded by this tapestry of wonderful supporting characters and uh, one of them being the town itself as you say mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, which was you said again it was like the first uh, all uh, black town. incorporated town towns you, right yeah. so
1: this is just you know this is in part why Zora Neale Hurston became Zora Neale Hurston because someone with her gifts and her talents and her spunk was born in this place where she was surrounded by images and representations of black achievement of black safety of black black prosperity. You know, one of the point plot points in my book The Summoner is Zora's father becoming mayor, and in this piece, the timeline is off right so I make it a little bit later he becomes mayor in real life in the 1890s, but for our purposes in the book, I make it 1905, but Hmm. her father was the mayor of a town in the 1890s. (laughs) You know, this is, this is a kind of a look at black life that I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with, and that I think it's often sometimes hard for people to imagine.
0: Could I ask though, when did you come across in your life, Mm -hmm. Zora Neale Hurston, when were you first exposed to who this, this brilliant woman was?
1: Yeah, in high school. And I think, you know, that was really lucky for me. Someone gave me the collection edited by Alice Walker. I like myself when I'm smiling and looking mean and impressive. I forget the order of the clauses in the title of the book, but I got that book and I just was so inspired. I couldn't I couldn't believe just the style of the prose, just this personality, just about all of these strange historical things. I just I just kind of fell in love and I never dreamed that, you know, 10 years later that I would end up co-authoring this series. So,
0: did you bring it to Tanya or did did you both Know about, so we're ahead, of, you know, at the same time? Or?
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is part of ta- my friend Tanya's genius is that Tanya had just had a baby and she was kind of at home thinking in big and small ways about how to stay sane with a small child. You know and also thinking about what she wanted to give her child what she wanted her little girl to encounter out in the world as she grew up so tanya had this idea of zora neale hurston you know something not quite a kid's book but definitely for children not a picture book but a novel you know and she was kind of turning it over and around the same time, I had just written a novel. And it was really bad. It was so horrible. It was a complete nightmare. But I gave it to my good friend, Tanya, to read. And I was like, look, I think this really sucks. But you know, I tried. I don't know. And she read it and said, you know, Vicki, it does suck. But when the characters are young, you have these young characters in your book. And when those characters are at the center of it, Like those pages in your book actually work. So I thought, hmm, right. So she had this idea. And then together, we had just discovered as friends, like helping your friends to see they have a talent and, you know, in a way that they didn't anticipate. So she had just encountered that I could write kids characters. So then she was like, Vicki, look, I'm at home, you are hot, you know, sitting at your computer, let's try to write a book. and I think she presented this idea to me one night over lasagna and we kind of hatched out or hashed out the plot, you know that night, and then I went home and said Okay, I think i'm going to try to figure out how to start writing this
0: well apparently it worked out because um (laughs) just just let me just rattle off a few things here just to embarrass you a little bit more here professor but john steptoe credit scott king award for new talent this book was nominated for an edgar award in the category of juvenile fiction zora me was also a junior library guild selection abc new voices selection i mean i could go on and on and on folks and just uh, check the link in the show notes for more but you you just struck gold with this thing were you surprised at how well it was received or were you like no we got this?
1: Yes, I was surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because for me, it was, I think for us, it was really an experiment. You know, my friend is climbing the walls at home with a baby. I'm trying to (laughs) learn how to write. And we're just two women that were like, let's pull our talents and try to figure something out. You know, so absolutely, we were surprised. (laughs)
0: Well, it, you know, I, I don't always just like quote reviews, but Kirkus has a nice little sentence here. It's a sweet, lyrical, finely crafted mystery and a testament to the deep bonds of friendship, which could also be about you and Tanya, perhaps, I guess, yes. the, the deep, deep friendship, right?
1: Yeah.
0: I think that's great. And um, if I can be granted just a quick aside about from the writing, and because we do have a lot of writers who listen to Mysterious mm-hmm. Goings On, so uh, obviously it worked fine we, the end results fine and your working relationship is great. And um, I, I for one have tried to initiate collaboration with other writers on some mm-hmm. things and we didn't even get to the starting gate because so many writers are so protective of their own voice. I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you, did you ever have any of those issues at all? It sounds like you didn't, but do you recognize that, that other writers might be going, I don't know, Victoria, I don't know if we could do that. I don't know if there's anybody I could work with.
1: I do know what that's like, you know, because going back to the beginning of our conversation, Tanya wrote the second book and I wrote the third book. Yeah. <laughs> so I do know what it's like when you're not necessarily disagreeing on ideas but you're disagreeing on how the ideas work together Hmm. and you know for tanya and i it took a long time to see that we were really just interested in writing different books you know we tried like for about a year and a half to like work on the sequel together And we really had different plot points, and we would try to smash our plot points together, and it just, the manuscript just wouldn't work, you know, and at a certain point, you're just like, hey, wait a second, what is going on here? And then it's like, oh, like, you want to write this book about X, and I want to write this book about Z, I think we just have to write different books.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, about thirty years ago, Peter Straub and Stephen King, uh, when fax machines were all the right, ra- they mm-hmm. were just they apparently traded off one chapter to you, one chapter to me, and mm-hmm. that's rare. That's incredibly rare that mm-hmm. that works out. And, and though you know what, I couldn't tell you what the book was, so maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it didn't work out that well. I don't know. but- Yeah, anyway.
1: I'm trying to remember. I'm trying
0: to remember. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it lost the sands of time uh, for me. But but so back to actually to the book, and I was I I just I'm always. In, impressed with particularly a series where the locale becomes as i said previously a bit of a character in itself
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um but that and that was where uh miss hurston actually was from right
1: yes yes she okay was born in alabama but she grew up in eatonville and then she comes back to eatonville and then she dies in the area you know in that part of florida
0: right yeah and i sadly uh, uh, did not have the, the means of uh, wherewithal to afford a, 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 a monument for her.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And that's the, the Alice Walker, kind of yeah. the end to the story is that Alice Walker, you know, not only resurrects Zora's work in the late 70s, but also puts a marker on her grave. And yeah. it's a very, it's a very inspiring story, you know, about ancestors and hope and legacy you know and marking the the greatness that has come before us that may have god you know unknown or ignored or dismissed for a time you know but i think when i think of zora you know, I think of someone kind of like Herman Melville. Like, I think of kind of like Edgar Allan Poe. I think about these people that are just these towering geniuses that over the course of their life meet success or don't and have ups and downs, you know? So for me, Zora is kind of the the archetype of like the, the great genius, the starving artist.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: because yeah. so...
0: Well so there there are so many as I mentioned in the lead and there's some parallels obviously mm-hmm. with what's going on today and I think a work like this is vitally important and I'm glad it's getting into school libraries mm-hmm. and I think it I think it obviously should be uh, if not required reading extremely suggested recommended reading to young people um I think that's that's vitally important um do you can I, can I just read a quick section from, a, sure, if that would, if that would well, some authors like Alex, please don't, don't read, please. Really dude. I want, I want to read something here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay this is, this is early on in the book. Okay. All right. Let me get to here. Uh, I had no idea when the territory of Florida officially became a part of the United States of America, but the country gained its independence from Britain in 1776. What America was for white folks in that all-important year, Eatonville became for black folks right here in America in 1887. We didn't have a White House, but we had Joe Clark's store. Almost every man in town worked or managed his own land. Every child was enrolled in school. Sunday morning worship was better attended than the juke joint on Saturday night. Eatonville was considered a promised land for colored folk prosperous and industrious Eatonville was bound to become a source of anxiety and envy for white folks sooner or later I read that and my mind went to I'm from Oklahoma originally oh yeah my mind went to to the Tulsa massacre black wall street
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I wanted to relate this to you this is this is all part of the big uh, the big uh, question I have here, this comment when I made earlier about being in school libraries. Grew up in Oklahoma, uh, public education. Not, I wasn't in Tulsa. I later worked in, at the Tulsa World newspaper when I was an adult, but I never learned about anything about the Tulsa riots in my uh, elementary, high school, any of my secondary education, nor in my college. I went to college um, and university in Oklahoma as well. It was only when I was reported to Tulsa World that someone in the newsroom, an editor, told me. Uh, just I don't remember the context but it came up and I I did not believe him I said I surely would have learned about this Mm -hmm, in school mm -hmm. this is too big Mm -hmm. but the whole thing was completely obliterated Mm -hmm. from history forever Mm -hmm. was that was that ever in the back of your mind it had to be I think to a degree when you think about this particular passage I just read
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely you know I went into this book with a couple of Things that I wanted to get at, right? And one of them was the beloved community, right? Yeah. What would it take for a community like Eatonville to come together? And what would it take for a community like Eatonville to survive, right? And, hmm. you know, history is littered with these examples of these types of communities, like what you just brought up in Tulsa, of being destroyed, right? you know i lived for a long time in new york city central park was a black settlement called seneca village and it was destroyed in order to build the park
0: (laughs) I, i did not know that
1: yeah yeah it was a black community of free people you know so our history is full of these examples of small communities of black people trying to come together Mm -hmm. And when they do come together, when we have come together and have been able to be prosperous and be successful, that coming together then is a target, right? So, you know, it's people looking for safety, but then once safety has been built, then that safety is actually, that becomes the thing that draws danger, Yeah. you know, so... So I was, so I was thinking about all of that stuff, just with black communities and historically what pressures black communities have faced. The other piece that I was thinking about was just the the racial violence, you know, which also comes up in the seminar with the lynchings, with mobs, which, you know, we got to see a mob on January 6th you know, and I think it was, it was jarring for people, because this is something that we have seen in Charlottesville, we saw it in Charlottesville. But I think before Charlottesville, we hadn't seen white mobs a lot, you know, on the news. (laughs) (laughs) So I think You know, reminding people that there's a long history of this kind of racial violence, you know, that there are other communities that also get together to create a mob and perform, you know, just the most kind of horrible violence, you know, most kind of disrespectful actions that you can imagine. So, you know, so I was thinking about this stuff in history, but I also was inspired to bring in the election piece of this book with Zora's dad becoming the mayor, you know, really from 2016 going forward, you know, after 2016. And I always just, I just found myself thinking, just like pondering, like, why do people make their decisions? Like, how do people translate their private angst or their private dreams and ambitions into the civic space? You know, what what has to happen in the privacy of someone's life for them to make a decision in this, in the voting booth? You know, how do we translate? you know our private selves into our civic selves so that was also something i was thinking about
0: <laughs> Yeah, i would imagine so it seems it seems uh, uh it seems to me though if, if, if the Tulsa uh, incident was sparked by something that was very similar to the Emmett Till incident mm-hmm. which which investigations have re- realized that it was it was trumped up stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and it, but it the point I'm trying to make is it just looked like people were looking for an excuse
1: mm-hmm.
0: to 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 lynch and Emmett Till's case, sadly, mm-hmm. but in Tulsa to destroy the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, right,
1: right, um,
0: just looking for an excuse. So when you think of what's going on today, I I have to say I think I think there is a, like you said the way they translate their actions in the voting booth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when a lot of those people were thwarted in the recent election, mm-hmm. they found their excuse, and then it was gas poured on the fire, and you've got all these sources of information that are complete nonsense, like QAnon. Um, I, I think the point I'm trying to make is that it, some things, sadly, never change. Right. Do you, though, do you have hope that things can change, or how do you oh, feel about
1: absolutely. it? Really? absolutely. Really? Yeah, I think things can change. I think... I think things are changing. Yeah, I think, you know, around the, the context of the pandemic, right, has just changed how people view themselves in systems, Mm -hmm. how people are being able to work out, you know, all of the the varieties, the vagaries of our personal lives, and how, again, this connection or this link between the public and the private right you know with george floyd his murder you know creating this outcry for social justice on the streets people of every race of every creed coming out to mostly peacefully protest this man's murder his murder and this protest giving rise to you know millions of people trying to educate themselves on the history of race in this country. I think things have changed this summer actually. And I think things are continuing to change. I think people are more aware of white supremacy. I think mm-hmm. we have more examples in our current moment To point to that, help people understand what this is and how these ideas have so deeply permeated our country and its institutions. And I'm hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful. I think people recognizing that something is not right and that we have made progress, but the progress isn't as far as it could be or should be, and that we should strive for more. I think that's a step in the right direction. You know, I think that these books about Zora Neale Hurston that have to do with, you know, medical racism and grave robberies and have lynchings in them. The fact that these books get published and I get to be on your show, I think things are I think things are changing. We just have to keep working toward the changes that we most want to see, but I think they're happening.
0: Uh, and, and thank you for saying that. I needed to hear that. I mean, I think that this, this is what happens, though, people get they see all these images on television, on the internet, et etc. And it just becomes overwhelming. And I think it can, if you're not careful, and you don't employ your critical thinking faculties, you can start thinking, my gosh, this, th- and th- this white supremacy movement is hideous and large, but it is not half the country. That's just right. nonsense, it's not, right. but it's a very vocal minority and a very dangerous to a large mm-hmm. degree minority. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you dropped on another overtone I wanna talk about in the book here, which leads me to something that I've, I've studied for a long time. Um, um, There's a recent report uh, from uh, UNIDOS US, the NAACP and COVID Collaborative revealed that just 14% of Black Americans um, and 34% of Latinx Americans say they have trust in the safety of the new COVID vaccine.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: for good reason. Mhm. Correct? You want to elaborate on that a little?
1: Yes. Well, there's such a long history of medical exploitation and the the involuntary use of black lives to make medical progress, you know, and to do medical research that black people, brown people are like it's very reasonable (laughs) to question you know the marvel of our technology when our history has told us that our lives are the least valued and for that reason you know the most prone to be experimented upon so I think it makes sense why people of color are like hold on wait a second this is fishy at the same time you know I think we do live in a time of marvels, right? Right. I think that the misinformation and the disinformation that we all have been exposed to has trashed a lot of stuff that's good and great, like vaccines. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. amen. You know, whereas, you know, a lot of the misinformation and disinformation we're exposed to has uplifted a lot of things that are bad, like white supremacy, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think people have to start grappling with how things have changed right, and this we're at this time where like the science has been able to produce this vaccine, if people don't let go of the disinformation of today, and embrace a future where things are different then you know i i don't know where we're what will happen if we don't get enough people vaccinated before the variants take hold you know so i'm just i'm hopeful that people black doctors you know latinx doctors you know people of color will get trained will come out to communities tell people about it you know just there were you know, for years there were these kind of campaigns and barbershops and beauty salons, you know, around colon cancer and breast cancer. You know, I'm hopeful that even in our very kind of strange, you know, screen world because of yeah. COVID that we are speaking to each other. I know I'm talking to my family members about the vaccine. I know my, I have a close friend who's a black woman. She's telling the people that she works with to get the vaccine she's telling people to sign up so i think a lot of us as people of color are trying to be ambassadors (laughs) in our communities and encouraging you know people to get the vaccine sign up get the vaccine
0: yeah that's well that's tremendous and it's just i i think uh i mentioned this to someone and they they didn't understand the historical context as to why people of color would be uh, a little hesitant perhaps to jump right in mm-hmm. um and now that makes that makes sense so uh, i referred him to the tuskegee experiments which is right horrific right. yeah
1: uh, and uh, yeah and in zora and me three the summoner you know one thing that i wanted to try to work out were real life zora neale hurston connections so zora neale hurston the anthropologist studied zombies right? She went to Haiti in the late 1930s. And she wrote a lot of, um, a lot of articles, a lot of essays on voodoo practices, on superstition. And on one of her research trips, she gets a call and she's told like, there's a woman at this hospital that is She, we think she's a zombie and Zora's like, huh? And, you know, (laughs) she's told that this woman died in 1917 and she was buried and her name was Felicia. And then her family, you know, put her in the ground cried their tears and moved on. And then in 1936, this woman has reappeared and her family confirms that it is her. What happened to her in that time, right? Who knows? So Zora goes to the hospital and she takes a photograph of this woman. And this woman is broken. She doesn't speak anymore. You know, she can't really open her eyes. So clearly she's experienced some major trauma that Zora documents. So, you know, I was thinking of kind of the real life Zora Neale Hurston and zombies and hoodoo and voodoo. And, you know, as I kind of went down that rabbit hole of research, one of the things that I discovered about the history of grave robberies, <laughs> in you know late 19th century America, is that black cemeteries were robbed. That you know dead slaves were, their bodies were put into barrels full of whiskey, and sent to medical schools in Boston wow. and in New York. That because grave robbering was such a, you know, kind of a sacrilege. People said, hey, wait a second, you can't keep stealing our white people out the graves. Like we gotta make rules against this. So then grave robbers and medical researchers then started to rely heavily on black bodies. And once I read that and thought, oh my God, like so much medical research was conducted almost solely on black bodies, on black cadavers, on black corpses. And the, the paradox of you know, black people being considered subhuman, less than human, but yet our bodies become the standard by which medicine and procedures are documented and recorded, it just it just blew my mind.
0: I was just, honestly, as you spoke that, I was thinking the same thing, you know, you're treated as subhuman, all these things, yet all of this, this wealth of medical knowledge was derived from this, which uh, that it's just, it's sickening. It really is. And I, and I, I think that particularly people who are not of color, like myself, who, who had that, that moment back in my twenties in the newsroom at the Tulsa world, Mm -hmm. when they said the world that you've been told about is not completely uh, not all the gaps are completely filled in your information. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, and I'm speaking for myself, okay, professor, but I think that it's incumbent upon everyone, no matter what your color, to to dig into uh, America's history, because there's a lot about it that's not pretty, obviously. Um, I still think it's a grand experiment, but it was based on the, the original mm-hmm. sin. Of, uh, uh, enslaved people built this nation to a large degree through their sweat and their sacrifice. And uh, it it was a criminal beginning. Um, But I am cheered to hear you say that you still, you do believe there's hope. And you do believe that things can get better. And uh, I guess it's an incremental thing, though.
1: I think it has to be. You know, I think everything is incremental as someone who, you know, you write a book, you put together your podcast, you know, it's like, it's all kind of step by step. And, you know, you just decide on what steps come first, how much you want to backtrack based on where you are, you know, and I think that where we are in our American democratic experiment, you know, is that the past four years was some backtracking, but it was also kind of, plunging into some unknown territory for the country in so far as this at least in my lifetime I'm 40 something but this is as close as I could have ever imagined us getting to trashing democracy period throwing yeah. away the republic altogether like this is a new thing that's change that happened <laughs> <laughs> so you know like maybe we can just say okay we didn't go off the cliff but let's figure out how to back up from the cliff let's back up let's make some changes because we got this close everyone
0: i happen to think we're not out of the woods yet
1: yeah i think you're probably right
0: um, I, I have a 12 year old daughter. We all, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, you, you all have your, we all have our children. We all want mm-hmm. what's best for the next generation, how we leave it. But I don't know if I'm going to sleep well again. i and I know that sounds dramatic, but it's just this, this, I was shook by this, this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember telling, telling a friend of mine, I'm in my fifties, but I remember telling a friend of mine, I just think didn't think it could happen here. What just okay. happened? The sacking of the Capitol. I mean, mm-hmm. a friend of mine was driving, and he was like, "What? What are you talking about?" I said, mm-hmm. "I'm watching it on CNN right now. They're mm-hmm. tearing into the." He was like, "You're full of it." You know. I said, "No, mm-hmm. get yourself home and look." Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in his sixties, and he he called me and said. I, I'm at a loss for words. and uh, But the point being, it can happen here. We are, we were on the precipice on January 6th. I think we took a few steps back and I pray we can come to our senses here on this thing. Um, but I do think that one of the ways we can come to our senses is with the, the wonderful writings of the Zora and Me.
1: Ah.
0: Um, see how I brought that around? Look at you, Professor. Ah. She's like, where is he going with this? And I'll tell you yeah. what.
1: Oh, dude, I just like hanging out with you. You're just nice to talk to. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you. Well, you are too. Zora and Me is a Coretta ah. Scott King John Steptoe New Talent Award winner from 2011. And it's also an Edgar nominee. Um, and it is endorsed by, I think it's the first or is it the yes, only? It's the work-
1: only work endorsed by the Zora Neale Hurston Trust that was not authored by Zora herself.
0: Well, I don't know if it gets any better than that, you know, but so then the next book by Tanya, by T.R. Simon, Zora and Me, The Cursed Ground, which was a 2019 Edgar Award nominee. Mm-hmm. I I write mystery, so I'm very, just very envious, by the way, I'm just telling you. I'm I'm um... I'm, I'm human, I can be envious for a moment. No, I think it's great there, well-earned. And then, of course, you have this wonderful book, Zora and Me, The Summoner, which is, uh, I'm sure, it just came out this year or last year, and I'm sure it's yeah. being entered in all kinds of awards. Stuff
1: well, it was, you know, just it was not an Edgar nominee this year. Hmm. Hmm. Was it fact, the zombie thing? Was lived. that what was? you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, you just are like, well, you know, there's so many great books you know, you
0: just say ah. Well, you got to give somebody else a chance. That's what I'm telling everybody about Tom Brady. <laughs> it's like move over because Patrick Mahomes needs to get his second Super Bowl from here for Kansas City. Um, <sighs> oh, that's that's sweet. all there is, dude. That's all. There is. So, uh, uh, Professor Victoria Bond, uh, real quick though, if people want to get this wonderful, these wonderful series, where do we go? Amazon, I assume. We one go spot. Amazon, um,
1: Barnes and Noble, the Indie Book. Um, I for uh, the Tarb, I forget the Indie Book. Thing, mm-hmm. right? so I think it's called first indie indie book um okay. my website is uh victoriabondauthor.com yeah so there's Zora and me on Facebook there's um I'm on Instagram way to go Vicky Bond so yeah I'm just I'm hoping for a great 2021 and yeah. it's just been great to talk to you about Zora and me the trilogy
0: well, it it has been great speaking with you, and I'm sincere when I tell you this. Thanks for giving me a little hope here. Your optimism—it's—it oh. it, no, it, it really made my day. Thank you, and I will try to incorporate that as I as I absorb more and more of the horrific things that have happened, and just realize that there are really good people in this country. You're obviously one of them. So thanks so oh, much for being here.
1: Oh, Alex, thank you.
0: Been there, done that, got the t shirt, huh? Not quite Mysterious Goings On, listeners. You probably haven't got the brand new Mysterious Goings On official t shirt. This is a quality, quality cotton t shirt coming in a premium unisex t version and a women's slim fit t version in all the sizes you could possibly need. These are great quality shirts coming in a variety of colors, including dark heather gray, black charcoal maroon and the women's t-shirt we come in dark heather gray black charcoal indigo and midnight navy there you go check them out they are in the show notes the link is right there they're being sold on bonfire Uh, they're typically sold in batches and they'll come at you pretty quickly all the instructions are on the website the link is in the show notes here or at mgopod.com again show the world well at least show the world on zoom or show the world (laughs) when we can finally really get out and about show the world that you have some mysterious goings-ons of your own by wearing our t-shirt and help support this show thank you so much Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week. But until next time, keep reading. Hey, folks, we're going to take a quick break in the episode. I probably mentioned here and there that I have another podcast called PR After Hours. PR After Hours is basically an after hours virtual lounge where public relations, marketing, and general business professionals get together and have a laid back conversation about what they do, and how we can help each other. It's great tips if you're running a business or if you're part of a PR or marketing team or you own your own business. I guarantee you'll learn a lot of stuff. It's a twice weekly show. We've been doing it for a year now. Very proud of it. And you can get it right here on Anchor FM or pretty much wherever you get quality podcasts. But if you want to learn more information about PR After Hours, please visit prafterhours.com. I hope you'll check it out. It's a little bit different vibe, obviously, than mysterious goings on, but also I think you'll you know, if you're not careful, you might learn something and have a laugh or two as well. Thanks so much. Again, that's PR after hours on Anchor FM.